0: I am um, excited this morning about what I believe the Lord has for us today. I really think it's going to be a, well, we can, this morning we saw just God do some really powerful breakthrough in people's lives and I'm anticipating the same thing in this service. Have, have you ever been in a place where it feels like everything but blessing is coming your way? you know, and that you kind of wonder, you know, what's going on and why, when I read the, you know, the scriptures and I see what blessing looks like, why am I not in that? And I think there might be an answer this morning for you and a way in which the flow of God's blessing can begin coming your way, and I'm... uh, I'm going to be in a lot of Scripture this morning. Normally, I I like to do textual. We take a portion and really kind of break it down. But um, in order to get this message through, we're going to be going in a lot of different places in Scripture. Um, We started a couple weeks ago on a series we're just calling Power. And we're looking at power encounters in the Scripture. We're taking a look at the, 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 the places where the outflow of God's power, um, you see it flowing, and we want to look at principles by which that flow of God's power is happening to uh, to and through us. But, and and this morning, we're continuing from last week, where we talked about the power of the blood covenant, and what that meant. And that is, um, I don't have time to go back and do much, you know, rehearsal of that, but um, the, the Bible is full of that principle and the principle of the blood covenant bringing life and bringing either covering or forgiveness in the new covenant um, that God, that Jesus brings to us thank you Sweet. I can say that, that, I don't say that to every woman in the church it's my daughter <laughs> mm. but um the the power, the power of the blood covenant. What Jesus did for us when He shed His blood, the blessing that that um, became was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ for our life, not just for our sins, but for our life, and that we would have life, and we would have more abundant life. And there's so much more to the blood covenant than. And, and I don't want to use the word just salvation, I mean just say, uh, salvation or just forgiveness of sins because there's no just to it. It's just, I mean what an amazing gift that is. But also there's more to it. And, and today I want to talk about um, a principle by which that blood covenant can bring greater blessing to our life and, and expose some of the things that have caused the hindrance of that. And I look at, um, I, I look at a portion of scripture. Actually, in Deuteronomy, it's also found um, um, earlier on uh, in in the scriptures. The, the story of Balaam, uh, Balak, and and the Moabites. And the story is that children of Israel are coming in to their promised land. Um, they, they God is blessing them, and anybody who comes against them, tries to attack them, they defeat. Now, they're defeating them not because of their physical prowess, but because of a spiritual dynamic that's happening, and God is bringing victory to their life and, and to their, their nation. And so um, the king of Moab sees what's going on, and he identifies that this is more than just, you know, they're good warriors, that this is something beyond that. So he calls a prophet who, uh, from Israel, who he, he, um, he employs to bring a curse on the people, to bring a curse on Israel. And he, he, he anticipates that he'll bring the curse and they'll be able to defeat him. So he promises him, you know, if he'll bring this curse, he'll be, you know, he'll bless them and he's gonna give them all these, you know, finances, he's gonna bless them with gold and so forth. And so Balaam, says to him, he says, well, you know, I need so many oxen and I need all this for sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice to God and then I'll I'll pronounce a curse. So he goes to a place where he can oversee the Jewish people and he um, makes a sacrifice. And when he goes to make the curse or, or pronounce the curse, out comes a blessing instead. And and so Balak goes, whoa, 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 wait, wait, that's not what I employed you for. I'm giving you all this. You're supposed to... You know, curse him. He says, "But I, I can't." He says, "Because God determines to bless. How can I curse if God determines to bless?" So actually, actually, he does this several times. He he goes again, and he he you know gives him money, and he tells him to curse. And as he goes to curse, he comes back and says, "I I can't curse. I can only bless. Because how can I curse what God determines to bless?" And the scripture. In uh, Deuteronomy 23.5 says, Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you. How many would like that? <clears throat> because the Lord your God loves you. So, so God had determined. Now, listen. I, I'm, I bring that up because the, the blood of Jesus Christ is the power to break the curse. And the, the scripture tells us in Revelation 12, uh, verses 11, it says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life unto death. Those three things is how the church wins out. The church is winning. The church is overcoming. He, he, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church is winning and the way it's winning is by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony and they love not their life unto death. And that is a winning combination against the kingdom of darkness. Now, the issues that we face in as, as followers of Jesus, being in the new covenant is um, that, that there's legal And transactions, there's there's legal issues and transactions that are part of the covenant. I'll explain this to you. Um, In Luke chapter 22 is the pronunciation of where Jesus instituted communion, right? And he said, likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Now this is a covenant, a new covenant. The the promise would be that there's a new covenant. There's the old covenant under Moses. Moses' old covenant, there's other covenants. There's many covenants in in the scripture. But there's two main covenants. There's the old covenant and the new covenant. And, And the old covenant under Moses where there was sacrifice that covered sin. And the new covenant under Jesus where his blood cleanses sin. And we we talked about that. And if you want to, you can go online and listen to last week's. If you didn't, but um, the 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 process is a legal process. It's a covenant. A covenant is a it uh, it's a, it's an agreement, right? It's a it's a transaction, and and so this covenant is a legal transaction. You see. And so is, and get this, so is salvation and forgiveness a legal issue. It's a legal issue. Now I know, I know we have a loving father who the, the motive behind salvation was love, you know, but but the the actual the actual process by which we are saved, by which the blood of Jesus cleanses us, was a legal issue. And let me show you this in first John chapter, chapter one in verse seven. It says, but if, in fact, there's three important ifs in this verse, these three verses, don't you can't go without them. You have to. If we walk in the light, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the, the premise is, if we walk in the light. Now, what is in the light? Well, he explains what w- walking in the light is in the next two verses. See, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, if we don't agree with God about our sin, if we say, I'm not a sinner, I've never sinned, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't do things wrong, well, then we're walking in darkness, Because walking in light is walking in honesty and openness. And so he says, if we confess our sins, okay, we're walking in light. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Everybody say just. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what is it, what is going on here? Well, there is a just pronouncement he's faithful and he's just that is a legal action he is a he's he's like the justice of the peace he is he's the judge and so he has there is a legal transaction that transaction that has happened here for our salvation we are saved and we are saved by god's justice see not his love his love was the motive for saving us, but we're saved justly. I, I cannot be accused by the enemy because justice. I, I, because I am saved by justice. If I, am, if, I have, if I do not have justice, if it's not a just salvation, if I don't have it that way, then the enemy can accuse me. He, but he can't accuse me in this. See, prayer at times is a legal transaction. Okay? It's a legal issue. It's a legal transaction. Salvation is a legal issue. And prayer is a legal transaction sometimes. We pray and we, you know, if, if we use Scripture, for instance, Scripture promises where, you know, God has, there, and we have fulfilled the premise to the promise. Remember, there's 7,000 promises in the scripture and with each one there is a premise to the promise. If we fulfill the premise, then we have the promise. And when we come to God it's a legal transaction in that way. Of course, we do it in a in relationship with the loving Father but understand that when we come to him, he is going to fulfill that because he has said he would. He said he would. He he. Said, if you do this, and I'm going to do this. And that is, you know, that, that has, that's his justice is involved in that. That's why you can count on it. It's not just the whim of his emotion. God doesn't just go, you know, I, I kind of, I'm kind of in a bad mood right now, so forget whatever I said. He doesn't do that. He responds because to God, that's just you did what he asked you and he's going to do what he said he would do and that's the, the, the that's how it works now there's a there's a problem that we face and that is this the devil uses accusations for legal rights to attack us the devil is looking for a legal a legal reason to attack us and he uses when we are operating in in sin, or or, or rock, uh, uh, trespass, or iniquity—I'll explain those in a minute—that the devil looks at that and he says, "I have a right to to attack. I have a right because legally they have broken the covenant. They've broken it." Now let me let. An example of that is a portion of Scripture that many of you are familiar with is in Malachi chapter 3 where um, the children of Israel had failed. In fact, the Scripture said they had robbed God because God had a covenant with them and in the, their covenant, they were to take a tenth of their um, you know, income and give it to the Lord. And they weren't doing that. And so God uses these terms. He says... You are cursed with a curse, he said. But he said, if you'll turn, if you'll repent, if you'll turn, he said, then I will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing upon you that you won't have room enough to contain. But he, then he says this. He says, I will rebuke the devourer. So understand that the devourer, the devourer is connected to the curse. So what, what curse was it? Well, the curse was the devourer had legal right, could legally go, I have a right to attack them in this arena of their life because they broke the covenant. And that's what he, that's what he, he did. And God had a, an out for them, and the out was repentance and turn back to God in this arena and fulfill the covenant that God had said for them. Now, we see that, uh, you know, working out in, in, throughout the Scriptures. But then, be, because the, the first thing, one of the first ways in which the devil is able to bring accusation and legal rights to attack is by broken covenant. Broken covenant. 2 Samuel chapter 21 is an interesting story where David now is king. The Scripture says... And there was a famine in the days of David for three years. So David became king, and there was a famine. And it says, for three years, year after year. It's kind of like saying, year after year after year. There was a famine. And David inquired of the Lord. Now, it took three years for David to ask, why is there a famine? It's better if you ask the first year, right? If, 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 when things start going a little haywire, don't hesitate. Is it possibly? See, David didn't assume, but he didn't even think that, that the famine had anything to do with some kind of spiritual dynamic. And it doesn't always have something to do with any spiritual dynamic in the sense of directly, I'm going to show you this. But but he waited three years. Things could have been a lot easier if he would have responded like this to the Lord, inquired of the Lord right away. Now, he inquires of the Lord, and the answer he gets is something he's obviously not, not expecting. He, he said, Lord, the Lord, he said, David inquired of the Lord. The Lord answered, It is because of Saul. Saul. Saul's dead. But Saul was the former king king. He says it's because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. Now David he could have answered like most of us would answer and say this wait a minute I didn't do it. That wasn't my fault I had nothing to do with that. I don't even know the Gibeonites. I have not even talked to the Gibeonites. I have not even looked at the Gibeonites. You know God, what why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And I would say, God isn't doing it. God has released God has pulled away, and the devil is taking advantage because he has a legal, he has he has a legal argument against the children of Israel because they broke a covenant that they had made. The covenant that they had made was by through Joshua. Four hundred years earlier, Joshua, children of Israel, going into, into uh, Israel, going into you know, the promised land, and as they're going in, the Gibeonites look out and go, you know, we better make some kind of treaty with these guys. So what they did is they were neighbors, but they acted like they lived a long ways away. And they... They dressed up like they've been on a journey for a long time and and got their their horses and so forth all sweaty and they uh they, they got their food, they got you know they got food that was looked like it was aged, and they came in and went, you know, we've come from a great journey, and we want to make a treaty with you that we won't attack you, you don't attack us. And Joshua went for it. Now afterward he regretted it, but he went for it, and they made this covenant. Now, this covenant was supposed to be kept, and God held them to it. He said, well, you were tricked, but you you made this covenant, and you stick to it. And here comes Saul, and for no reason other than he wanted to take what they had, he destroyed the Gibeonites. There was a slaughter, and only a remnant left. And God said, you broke that covenant, and you're going to pay for that, because I'm not covering you. You've not repented. There's been no repentance. You haven't done anything to, you know, to to deal with this issue. And so they're having famine because of something a king did who's already dead. And so David asks, what do I do? And God tells him to talk to to the Gibeonites, and he does. And the Gibeonites say, well, we don't want any money from you. We don't want to slaughter your, your people, but what we do want is we want the sons of of uh, of Saul. We want the seven sons of Saul. And as you notice, it says in the scripture, it says, because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house. So his sons were a part of that, of that uh, uh, destruction on the Gibeonites, and they wanted the seven sons that had been part of that. There's a son who escapes that, but he was... He was um, handicapped. He wasn't obviously part of the war. So they take them, and they, they string them up, and God blesses because it was dealt with. See, it was dealt with. Broken covenants can, in fact, um, impede your blessing and growth in your life. And these broken covenants come in a variety of ways, you know, where, where th- that we make promises and we don't keep them, and then, you know, and, and we've said we're going to do something and we don't do it, and we wonder why, because the enemy has access now to accuse us. We deceived or we lied, and we can't take that just for granted. A, a broken promise is For instance, the covenant of marriage. That's that's something we have just kind of in our culture, right? It's not a big deal. Um, You know, people, it's it's a piece of paper, as some people say. No, it's not. It's a covenant. And when the person who has broken that covenant, because they were the ones that broke the covenant, they, they were the ones who... Um, you know, decided to, to, to uh, either get the divorce or to, you know, without legal rights, biblical rights, or with, in, in, in fact, maybe broke that covenant through infidelity, that there's a responsibility. And that broken covenant is an access point where the enemy can accuse and say, I have legal right to attack because this person has broke the covenant and there's been no repentance. And what needs to take place is that the person who broke the covenant comes back with repentance to the person they broke the covenant with. And I'm I'm not saying in every case there needs to be, you know, full reconciliation. That's a whole different ballgame in all of that. But if a person broke the covenant and has never repented for that, never asked forgiveness, never, you know, uh, said they were sorry for that, even if they felt like, well, that person wasn't a good husband, or that person wasn't a good wife, and they did all that. It's still the person who broke the covenant. That's the person that the enemy goes after and says, you have, I have a right to attack. I have a right to impede your, you know, your growth, your blessing in your life. And he takes advantage of those things. And that it should, um, God wants to bring healing, of course, in that. But it's not just that. Um there is another access point, and one of these access points that the enemy uses is what we call generational, uh, I call generational iniquity. And uh, it has to do with um, you know, the, the curse in scripture, when the Bible uses the word curse, it's severe, negative, consequences it's just severe negative consequences that comes and and we use oftentimes think it's God but it's really most of the time it's simply that God has pulled away his protective hand and the enemy has had access and the enemy claims access because of you know because he because he sees it's a legal failure on our part so in David's story, it's a national thing, right? The nation. Somebody at the head, the leadership of this nation, brought the nation down a path that was, you know, that was evil or, and destructive and trespassing. That, you know, it, it, it brought pain and suffering to people, all of this stuff. And the nation, even though they weren't the ones who made necessarily the, the decision, everybody faces the consequences and the pain of that. Now, we, you know that that's true. You know that that's true because we live in a nation that has done many of those same things. In fact, every nation has. But, And I'm not picking on the United States. I think we're a great nation, but I do. we've done those things. And that consequence affects all of us, right? When we've allowed sin in its worst you know, ways, we've, when we've done that, you know, our our early forefathers of our nation, half of them actually didn't want slavery. But for economic purposes and to bring in the ones that, that did, they compromised. And we, even today, still still have the consequences of the sins of our forefathers. It still affects us, right? When we make decisions that break down the family and destroy the family and... Because of that, the consequences, you know, sometimes the anarchy and and sometimes the lawlessness that goes on because of decisions that are made by others. But we're the ones that have to put the locks on our back door, right? Because, Because those decisions affect us. When we, you know, choose to kill 60 million unborn babies and think it doesn't affect our value of life, Well, it does. It affects everyone. We all face these things. And many things that happen on a national basis happen as a result of the sins, sometimes of our leadership, sometimes as our our nation as a whole. And, And everybody faces it. Everybody experiences it. So we could say we're under that curse. I mean, the world is under the curse. The fact is that... There is a curse that has come upon the world. As I'm pulling out of my driveway this morning and I look at my front yard, there's weeds everywhere. That's Adam's fault. (laughs) He did that, right? His sin. The the, the earth was cursed. We face that. Now, every time I got to pull weeds, it's, you know, Adam. But that's a fact. That that we we see that practically in that in that terms. But there are other ways, and I'm going to start with an illustration. It's mine. It's my story. It's my family story. Um, in my family line, I'm I'm a Dana, but you know my fam my my uh, family my, my dad's side's Dana, my mom's side's Palazzola. The Palazzola side of my family. Um, the men in the Palazzolo side of my family were um, were not faithful. They weren't faithful, and and my um, my grandfather, um, when my when my mother was about um, twelve years old, um, my my grandmother went on a um, on a trip to be with some of her family that lived in, I think it was Detroit at the time. And, uh, and while she's gone, my grandfather um, connected with a neighbor lady, the next, door, the next door neighbor. Next door neighbor. Now, and this is pertinent to the story, but um, she, she was um, a red-headed Jewish lady I'll tell you how that works. It's not against Jewish people or redheads. So <clears throat> but she was this redheaded Jewish lady. So my dad's my my grandmother's gone with her fa- with me, hey, being with family, my grandfather's home, the next door neighbor, this redheaded Jewish lady um comes somehow they get connected. My grandfather ends up leaving my grandmother, the devastation both to my mom and to my, my aunt, who uh, was younger than her at that time. And, 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 that, and, and that's been a, there's been a, a pattern. Now, I, I'm at, I'm now at the time, I think I was about, I'm trying to think, I, I think we were married about five years, maybe four, four years. Four or five years. And uh, I'm at home. It hadn't been four because I don't don't think uh, we had any children then. So it was before Carolyn was born. So um, I'm at home, um, and Carol is on a trip to her brothers. So while she's on this trip to her brothers, um, this is how I am. When Carol's gone, the house becomes a complete disaster. (laughs) I don't clean any dishes. I don't do anything till about an hour and a half before she comes home. <laughs> then I clean everything up. That's the way it works. So, um, <laughs> if I was a bachelor, I'd be in bad shape right there. But, um, she, well, while she's gone, I, I'm taking the trash out, and I go in the side of the side of the house as I'm taking the trash out, and as I'm putting doing that. Our next door neighbor comes out, and she's scantily dressed. She's in her night, you know, half see-through nightgown, and she comes out on the side of the house, to, and, and she sees me, and it was one of those. She wasn't covering up things, and I, you know, and I looked for a minute. I, I looked over. I went. I thought, and it was that look like, I better get out of here. And so I turned around and went back in the house, and that's when this flood of what's going on was coming together. You see, my next door neighbor is this redhead was this redheaded Jewish lady, and so when I come in, I I I'm making this connection with my fa- my grandfather, and. Uh, and what ju- that moment just happened. And I think if it wasn't kind of that clear, I might have just missed it. Might have just said, Lord, you know, cleanse my mind and and um, thank you for your covering and all of that. But I, I got on my knees and I began to pray. And what started coming out of me was not what I expected. Because as I started to pray, I started to confess and to repent, not for me, well, for me too. I mean, as a whole, I was repenting for us as a family. I was saying, God, forgive us. And I was going down the line of, you know, for our infidelity and our, our sin, and, and I, was, I started down that road. And then things, God just started putting things in my heart about my family, things I knew at first, you know, God forgive us for all the times we have used your name in vain. God forgive us for our deception. Forgive us, Lord, for our greed. We were not a generous family. I, I'm just going down that road with our whole, you know, our whole family line. And then then I even went beyond, because this was the Palazzolo line. I started going down the Dana line, you know, and anything in that, in that, in, in that line of, of family history as i'm starting to identify and this is you know this is a principle that i didn't know at the time but later on found out, found it to be a principle in the scriptures that's called identification repentance at least sometimes it's used that way it's called identification repentance and i'm praying in this way lord forgive us for our sin forgive us for our sin it's ours Now, immediately, I would imagine there's some of you going, but Rick, you didn't do it. And I'm not going to take responsibility for my family's sin when I didn't sin. I'm not taking responsibility for that. That's not my responsibility. They did it. And I can understand that. But remember, you still, the enemy uses even your family, as an at, at, uh, uh, as a point, as a access point, to attack you for their sins, and if and and this produces generational iniquity. Now, there's three kinds of, of sin. I'm just give you these real quick. They're, well, I wouldn't call them. They're not all sin. The sin, yeah, they're all sin. Sin trespass and iniquity. These are the terms, but they mean different things. Sin is missing the mark. When you miss the mark with God, it's sin. Trespass is when you miss the mark by crossing the line for another person. You've done something against a person. Right? It's against God because it's against a person. Trespass, you've crossed that line. But then, there, but then this one is iniquity. Iniquity is sin that is repeated or trespass that has been repeated over and over again. In fact, the word iniquity in the Hebrew is a leaning toward. That's what the word means. In other words, you're leaning toward. you When you come in and, that, and there's, there's the opportunity you're going to lead. There might be a, 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 a list of sins, but there's one that is iniquity, and that's the one you're going for. See, if you... If you're an alcoholic and you repeatedly get, you know, get drunk, that's sin, that's iniquity. And when you get into a room where there's alcohol, you're leaning towards, so you're, going, you're going to go. You're, that's a repetitive thing, iniquity. I want you to hear what the Bible says in regards to that. In Exodus chapter 34, it's going to make sense to you, verse 6. The Lord passed before him. He's talking about Moses. He, he, he's, he's proclaiming something to Moses. About the the, the the old covenant. He said, the Lord passed before him. Proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. Then he says, keeping mercy for thousands. Keeping mercy for thousands. Actually, the, the, uh, Deuteronomy 7, 9 says for 1000 a, a thousand generations it adds keeping mercy forgiving look at iniquity transgression and sin all right iniquity transgression and sin all three are forgiven he says by no means clearing the guilty so Sin, all of these are guilty, right? If, if, you've, if, you're, if you transgress, if, you, if there's iniquity, if there's sin, you, you're guilty. But he says he washes, he cleanses you, forgives you. He forgives those who? Who is he forgiving? The ones under the blood. See, the ones under the blood are forgiven. But he says, by no means, by no means clearing the guilty. And then he makes this statement, which is oftentimes misunderstood. Visiting the iniquity. Everybody say iniquity. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, some people think that God is saying, well, if they sin, then I'm going I'm to punish their kids, and I'm going to punish their grandkids, and I'm punish their great-grandkids. That's not what's being said here. He's saying that these who don't repent of their iniquity, what's going to happen is God is going to have to visit their iniquity. Because they're going to be in the same, they're going to do the iniquity, and then their kids are going to do the iniquity, and then their kids are going to do the iniquity. You see, visiting the iniquity, that's, what, that's what's bringing, in fact, what we would call the curse. It's this, it, it's to, to generation after generation. This is what happens when iniquity is not dealt with. It has to be revisited by God from generation to generation. That's what's going on here. Now, like I said, God, not everything is a result of ...that we face, not every problem, not every situation, not every sickness, whatever... ...is a result of our sin or somebody else's. We live in a fallen world. And Jesus said that because he saw a man born blind and the disciple says... ...who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? And Jesus said neither. In that situation, neither sinned. So who sinned? Well, Adam, we live in a fallen world and things along those lines happened to us in this fallen world, but but in that case it wasn't direct, but in many cases it is direct, and it's it's not necessarily the consequence, it's the sin itself, or I should say it's the iniquity itself that is being passed on from generation to generation that has to be broken. Now let me show you just quickly a couple of, just a few scriptures that kind of bring more more to this point Leviticus 26:40 40 and 42 it says but if if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and that they also have walked contrary to me and that i also that i also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies if their uncircumcised heart are humbled and they accept their guilt, they walk in the light, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember and I will remember the land. Now, this was, this was Israel, you know, God saying, if you go away from me, you know, you're, there's going to be consequences for what you do, you see? Jeremiah 9 2 says, then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their what? Are you following? Is it up there? Are you, are, are you falling asleep? Are you awake? Are you with me? <laughs> and the iniquities of their fathers. What does that have to do with anything? He says, but he says, he said, he said, if, they'll, if you will, if they will confess the iniquities of their fathers, he says, I'll remember the land. That was a, you, you know, you know the prayer that um, is often used for God bringing revival. If my people, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and, and um, turn from their wicked way. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and what? Heal their land. Their land will be healed. Their land will be healed. Th- this is why whenever I've moved, whenever I've moved in that, the new house that I go to, and if you've not done this, um, you might consider this, I go, and I walk that land, and I get down on my knees, and I say, Lord, forgive us for all the sin that has been, that has been done on this land, because the iniquity drives the presence of the Lord away, and you don't know, if, if, especially if it's not a house that's been lived in before, or even if it was land before, you don't know, but if you don't know what's happened there, but I can tell you this, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses all. And so you then, you, you identify with the sin. You didn't do it, but you're doing the same thing God asked the children of Israel to do so that he will heal that land. Bring your presence back here, Lord. If it's been driven by sin before, bring your presence back here. And I, I, we, we repent, Lord, from this. Because the, the reason David didn't see it, he only was looking in the natural those three days they were having famine. He didn't see that there was spiritual work that was going on behind the scenes, and when he found that, then he could deal with it. He could deal with it, and the blood of Jesus Christ, through the blood covenant, is powerful enough to break it. You see? Uh, uh, Jeremiah 14, 20 says, We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. So he's saying, we've sinned, our, the iniquities of our fathers, we have, we have, we have sinned against you. Uh, uh, the Bible says in Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And as it is written, "Curses is everyone who hangs in the tree. Jesus took the curse for us. But it's like sanctification. Sanctification happened, and it's happening. And ultimately, it will happen fully. And we see that in the scriptures. Revelation 22.3 tells us that the, there would be no more curse, but it's talking about the future. So this, there's a process, and there's a breaking. And I'm not sure that when I got on my knees in, that, in my front room after that encounter that I had... And was repenting for my family. I'm not sure that I was repenting necessarily for me. At that point. Not in that particular. I, I repented about a bunch of things that day. But, but I, know, I know that I was repenting for my family. I know I was repenting for family that didn't know Christ. I know I was repenting for my kids as they would come the future. I, I was breaking a curse that had, had been there from generation to generation, iniquity, curse, I was breaking it in the, by the and putting it under the blood of Jesus Christ that it would stop there and it would not. Now everyone else would make their choice but they wouldn't be under the accusation anymore. None of my family would be under that accusation because I believe I broke it when, we, when I identified with the sins of my fa- grandfather and great-grandfather. And when I, I identified with that, I was breaking that against them. I was breaking it so that the enemy couldn't come and say, I have a legal right to bring this to them and bring this at, 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 um, you know, at them. I, I was breaking it. And you can break it too if you have under the covenant you can break it <clears throat> so let me just close with this verse 46 it says "Verse i mean isaiah 46 23 says i even i am he who blots you out your transgressions for my own sake and i will not remember your sins and then he says put me in remembrance Let us contend together. When he's saying let us contend together, he's not saying that I want you to contend with me or contend against me. He's saying I I wanna contend with you against the enemy. See, let us contend together against the enemy. And he says, state your case. What's your case? I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ. He died for my sins, that's my case. See, that's the case I stand by. That you may be acquitted. Absolutely. Your first father sinned and your mediators have transgressed against me, he says. See, what, we, what you're doing is you're breaking the curse. The mediators, by the way, are, were the priests. The job of the priest is to look and to identify repentance for the nation and for the people. Say, God, forgive us. But they have sinned and they're in their sinful state and they're not doing their job. In the new covenant, the Bible says we are a kingdom of priests. You're a priest, you're a priest. That means you can stand in the gap. Stand in the gap for our nation. Pray, Lord, forgive us for our sin. You see, stand in the gap for our community. When you see injustice, You stand and, you know, wherever you can make a difference, you make a difference. And you pray, God, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our iniquity. And you identify and you put it under the blood of Jesus Christ. See, that's the power the church has that no one else can do anything about. We can do that. We have this power that God has given us. But if you go, well, it wasn't my sin. Yeah, so just let everybody else go to hell. (laughs) Right? Is that what that's about? No. It isn't your sin, maybe, particularly. But I'll tell you what, it affects you. The enemy will use everything he can to get at you. But as followers of Christ, we just say, listen, Lord, Lord, forgive us. Cleanse us. I do that for our church. You know, every once in a while I find out somebody's really gone sideways and done some things that I know displease the heart of God and it's causing pain upon them. I, ask, I say, God, forgive them. God, forgive them. ask you to cleanse them. Lord, their sin. I, I know you're going to deal with them individually, but I ask God for your mercy. Amen? Don't you do that for your kids? You know, God... They're a pain in the neck, but <coughs> forgive them. I love them. Amen. Listen, um, we're going to close, so I'm going to ask if you if, if you stand with us. Worship team, would you come forward? <coughs> and uh, listen, if you've not turned your heart to Christ, he's here. You can do that. You can turn your heart to Jesus. And I want to know how many of you... While we're speaking, how many of you, when, you know, God spoke to me about something in this regard? So God spoke to me. How many of you that that happened while we're talking today, while we're sharing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all over this place. What we're gonna do is we're going we're closing worship. I know I'm over time. We're, I'm I'm gonna dismiss you in just a minute, but I want to give this opportunity. Um, I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come on down. And if you want to deal with something, you know, before you go, um, whatever the Lord placed upon your heart, um, I want to invite you to come down. And, um, and the prayer teams, I'm asking the prayer teams not to pray for you, but to pray over you. Okay, you know what I mean by that? I'm not asking you to interview them and pray for a specific thing, I'm asking you to pray over them as they're praying to God about whatever God's placed upon their heart. So if you would like that, you can come down, you can stand, you can kneel, however, and, um, and we're gonna worship while you're doing that, and then I'm gonna dismiss people, and those of you who wanna continue praying, we have time to do that, okay? But if you'd like to come down, why don't you do that right now? And let's lift our voices to the Lord in covering as people, I believe Jesus is breaking. He's breaking every chain. He's breaking, he's breaking things in people's lives. He's he's breaking history in some of your lives. I believe the Holy Spirit's giving you insight in things that the Lord wants to do that. In fact, many people in the first service just said, you know, as I came down, the Lord started opening up things to me. And while we were praying, one person said, I was praying here. This person was praying there. And I overheard the prayer warrior praying for them. And I said, oh, that, I need that. <laughs> right? So just come on down. And, uh, and let's just cu- let us cover you in prayer as you talk to Jesus. Right? Let's do that. Mr. Trevor <clears throat> <coughs> <coughs>